Welcome to Settlers of Catan Even, where we talk about conspiracy theories, current events, and whatever else pops into our minds, all while playing one of our favorite games, Catan. I'm Ben, and I will be the moderator for this week. Today, our players are Megan, Katie, CJ, and Jasmine. Today, we are playing the Through the Desert board. Same rules as before. However, if you forgot or are new, you can check down in the show notes for a brief explanation. Remember, you can now find a link to a YouTube video that goes into more detail about the rules in the show notes. All right, so we're doing Through the Desert. How many victory points do we need today? 14. 14. Pretty difficult. I feel like we haven't played this one in a while. It's because I always pick this one, and I haven't started the game in a long time. Uh, Here we are. It's because you're always talking, and you never get to play. So That's because I talk too much. No, no never no, enough. I don't have to talk. Exciting. It's a special treat. <laughs> Katie's just going to sit here silently the entire episode. <laughs> Basically, I'm going to put my mute switch on and I'm not going to open my mouth. My turn. Well, surely you're going to open your mouth to drink coffee. Well, yes. I mean, as usual. Or usual. Is that what everyone is drinking today? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, mine's really bad. But everybody tell me about your coffee and tell me that it's good so I can live vicariously through you. Mine is the Starbucks Colombian Rose. And yes, it is super delicious. This is my first cup of the day. Mm. Who knows? I might have to get up here in a bit and get a second cup because really, really good. Nice. I am drinking a blonde vanilla latte from Starbucks. Nice. Did you actually get it iced this time? No, I got it hot this time, which is uh, what I wanted. Mm. Um, because I didn't want anything too like really flavorful when we went. So I was like, this is a pretty, like, not pumpkin spice full of flavor, but like pretty mid-road decent enough. What did you get, Katie? I am drinking an iced caramel macchiato because I decided that I needed a break from pumpkin spice and from um, salted caramel mocha because it was just too much today. So I needed my my good old standard drink. So speaking of the iced caramel macchiato, I got one the other day as well. So I'm all on board for like their their new like sippy cup thing that's going on. I don't know what else to call it because it looks like a sippy cup, but not having straws is good. Um, however, like it makes mixing the caramel macchiato, like if you want to mix it, it makes it extremely difficult because like I tried to like just swirl it and then like some of it spilled out and I was really upset. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I had to bring it home and then mix it up with a stirrer and then drink it because... That's literally what Katie said before ordering it today. Yeah. yeah. The sad part when I ordered it, it was when I was going out to 360. So I wasn't going home to be able to stir it. So like, I'm literally just like, all right. Okay. Yikes. I don't know where to place my last piece. This morning I went to Starbucks and got a vanilla sweet cream cold brew and I added pumpkin to it. Ooh. And I thought that would be good, and it wasn't. I'm but sorry. The oh, worst no. part was, because again, with the sippy lids, I was on the way home and going through the parking lot where the Starbucks is, there are speed bumps. And going through the parking oh, no. lot of my apartment complex, there are speed bumps. And I went over a speed bump, not quickly. I went over it slowly, and it splashed all out of the hole in the sippy cup lid. And I've got like a left-hand driver's side cup holder. That folds out, and that's where I had my coffee. 
and where it's it's placed when it splashed out a whole bunch of the coffee it went all into my air vents oh my god <gasps> oh no mm-hmm. that also like yeah. does is not going to leave you a good smell no i was very very right. upset i also had another large iced beverage in the console and it splashed out all over my leg and all over the gear shift. So I got home and I took all of the drinks upstairs and I came down and I like cleaned my car and I cleaned in the vent and hopefully I got it all. So it doesn't smell bad. And then I got all the way back upstairs and realized I left my phone in the car. So I had to go all the way back down to get my phone. And it was this whole thing. And then I took a drink of my coffee when I got upstairs and it wasn't even good. Oh, that is. I'm so sorry, Ben. Um, Yeah. And then I made coffee right before this and it's super watery. It's also not good. So today is just a not not a good coffee day. It's what it is. Okay, I had a I had a rough morning in general this morning, so I get it. I understand. I needed to like restart today. It's just not a good morning. What happened? Um, We were trying to leave to take Megan's car to go get inspected and. I accidentally like caught my first world problems. I caught my mask on my succulent and I broke it. <laughs> Your mask or the succulent? Uh, the succulent. <laughs> well, Aww. it's not a real, it, it's not, it's okay. It's a fake one because I can't keep anything alive. Um, but the mask like elastic got caught on it and I tried to you grab four animals <laughs> and a wife. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And then the, the succulent like fell on the ground and shattered. And I was like, ah, and Megan was like, it was like 10 or $10 for three of them. It's fine. I'm like, it's not fine. <laughs> and then I don't know. I, we got to Firestone to drop off their car. And then as soon as we got there, we had groceries being delivered today. And Instacart was like, we're on your way with your groceries. And I'm like, I'm not home. And so then I had to go home to go get groceries. And then I left my glasses in the car and I just had my sunglasses. I was trying to put away the groceries. Then I knocked over a cup of water and spilled water everywhere on the groceries. And I couldn't see because I had my sunglasses on. But without my sunglasses, I couldn't see because I'm blind. It was just a bad start to the morning. <laughs> Sounds like a very rough, rough start. <laughs> it was. Yeah, just a little bit. It was It was rough. And I just I just needed to restart today. But, you know, nothing is quite as bad as um, Megan's been having issues with her uh, with their coffee lately. So. Because do you want do you want to tell them what you've done with your coffee? The two incidents. <laughs> Megan's like, like I don't have that we coffee had. problems. What what what? I I don't know what you're talking about. So yes, you're gonna have to <laughs> so, say something. Okay, so oh, are you talking about how I spill them? Recently, we got home from Panera, and Megan had to run to the bathroom. So they went to go put down their coffee cup, and just missed the table. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Oh no. <laughs> okay, so like what happened was I didn't like lift enough. So, like, I'm going to mute my mic while I do this because this is great. But, like, so as I'll explain it first and I'll show it. So as I didn't lift the cup enough, it hit the table and then it, like, just spilled all all over the dining room. So, like, this. Everywhere. Literally coffee everywhere. Coffee went everywhere over the dining room. It was awful. Um, (laughs) And then you're like, but I still have to use the restroom. Yeah, but like everything paused in that moment because I was just so flustered and so angry that literally an entire large cup of Panera coffee just went 
all over our chair yeah. seats. And at least it was Panera, yeah, not true. Starbucks. That is true, yeah. and, it, and was it was free. free, so it's not that tragic. <laughs> yeah, it could de- it could definitely have been worse, but it still went all over our seats. Which, if you don't remember, because you know you haven't been over in forever. Our seats oh, are like this right. creamish white color. Oh, oh no. Yeah, <laughs> that one seat is no longer a creamish white color. Oh, so my gosh. like half of it is and half of it has coffee stains. So next time y'all come over, don't worry. It's just coffee. <laughs> Megan made coffee one night and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how, what happened here either. I don't know how they manage this, but like, I think like from what I understand, you grabbed your cup of coffee and you were like trying to set it down like on your body <laughs> some like i don't know yeah so, well no so what happened was in this one is i sat down and i was trying to rearrange but like somehow and i'm using like a normal mug so like somehow the cup ended up like going towards me while i was like either switching hands or like switching somehow like the cup ended up going towards me and i spilt like half a cup of hot coffee mm. On me, the couch, the pillow, and the blanket. My goodness. Oh, no. I, it was, but nothing stained. Like, yeah. clothes didn't stain, so that was good. But our chair <laughs> sure, sure did stain. But anyway, so I don't know how you've managed to spill so much coffee in the last, like, two weeks. But, but I did. So I think this would be a good time for some shout outs. Yeah, let's give a shout out to our patrons today, Cynthia, Kiara, and Brianna. And if you so happen to support the podcast after we've announced these names, don't worry. It just means that you will be acknowledged in the next episode. Um, so thank you guys for your support. And if you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Pod. Or if you are not into monthly subscriptions, you can also just buy us a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com slash Pod. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Today, we're going to talk about cursed movies. Ooh. Which will be our third episode of our spooky oct over it series. And when I say cursed movies, I'm not talking about things like The Grudge or The Ring, where weird things are supposed to happen after you watch it, but films that are rumored to have had cursed sets and cursed production processes. So with curses wreaking havoc on production, leading to death and even completely halting production altogether. So moving forward from this point on, spoilers are in effect. So if you don't (laughs) want to spoil movies that have been out since 1994, well, maybe shut off this episode of the podcast. (laughs) What made me want to do this whole topic was... My favorite movie of all time, The Wizard of Oz. That was going to be one of the movies we talked about, but reading through it, there's a lot of stuff. So I'm going to table that to a different episode where we do nothing but talk about The Wizard of Oz and all the conspiracies and the onset drama and all of the horrible things that happened to poor Judy Garland. I think that should be its own episode. So today we're going to talk about four other films. We're going to talk about The Crow, The Exorcist. We're going to talk about Poltergeist. And then we're going to talk about A Confederacy of Dunces. Has everybody Ooh. heard of those those movies? No. Um, no. But not heard of the last one. I've seen the other three. Well, I think I've seen The Crow. I don't know. I don't know the last one. Well, let's go through them. I'll tell you a little bit about each of them. I'll give you a synopsis and then talk about all the horrible things that happened on set. And you're going to find out why you may not recognize all the names of all of these movies. Okay, so the very first one we're going to talk about, which 
I'm not going to go in chronological order. I'm going to talk about them kind of in order as the most cursed. Um, So the first one is The Crow, which was released in 1994 and stars Brandon Lee, the son of Bruce Lee. So The Crow shows Bruce Lee's son, Brandon, as Eric, a musician who rises from the grave after being heinously murdered the night before his wedding. He becomes a supernatural gothic Avenger that vows to seek revenge on his attackers. And this movie was supposed to launch Brandon's career into superstardom. He had been known as Bruce Lee's son and done a little bit of stuff before this, but this was supposed to be his thing. There were a lot of issues surrounding The Crow. One of the film's carpenters got shocked and burned by a scissor lift while on set. A stuntman fell through the roof in between takes. A crew member accidentally stabbed his hand with a screwdriver. It sounds like everybody on the set was really, really clumsy. But that's a lot of like coincidences. Yeah, it is. I also like I feel like if you work on like work on movie sets, like you're more aware of what's going on around you. Like unless this is like the first time they've ever worked on a film, which maybe it has been. I don't know. Yeah, no, I would agree. Like if you're working on a movie set, you probably are going to be a little bit more self-aware. And the fact that. A carpenter got shocked and burned by a scissor lift. Somebody fell through a roof. You know, you accidentally stab yourself with a screwdriver. That sounds pretty suspect. But those are just like the little things Mm. that happened. The little things. Uh, The next two, I think, are arguably a little bit bigger. Uh, A grip truck unexpectedly went up in flames on set. So this truck just burst into flames. And then a disgruntled carpenter plowed his car through a plaster shop. That's all pretty bad. Those are things that would slow production, right? Like people getting hurt and getting angry. That's just the beginning of it. In 1993, towards the end of production, Brandon Lee died. Oh my God. Oh no. How'd he die? There's a scene where a character called Funboy shoots Lee's character, Eric, while he's carrying a grocery bag. And the gun was meant to be loaded with blanks and a small squib, which would detonate in the grocery bag to simulate the actual gunshot. However, a real bullet got into the gun and shot Lee and killed him. I feel like that's something you don't mistake. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Did, someone, some, mm-hmm. did someone lose their job over that? I feel like someone should have lost their job. Probably. Um, So the strangest part about this death is its uncanny resemblance to a scene from his father's final film, The Game of Death. In that scene, Bruce Lee is filming a movie within a movie, and he's supposed to be shot and pretend to die of a gunshot wound, but gets hit by a real bullet and dies. What? Oh. And so while on set, Lee had reportedly referenced the fact that he thought his family was cursed and that he would be dying soon to several crew members prior to this accident. Mm. Trust your gut, people. That's insane. Mm -hmm. That's the least cursed, I feel, of all the movies on this list. And it's still pretty bad. You've got people hurting themselves. Yes. (laughs) People hurting themselves. Things bursting into flames. People driving through buildings. And somebody accidentally getting shot and dying on set. That was in 1994. That is the newest of the ones on my list. We're going to jump backwards in time to the earliest one, which is The Exorcist. Ew. So who has seen The Exorcist? I've seen it once, I believe. I have. And no. I used to really be into this kind of movie. So like I, I've watched that many times. So yeah. I have not. Yeah, I don't do scary movies. Yeah. I know Megan doesn't mm-hmm. either. I think 70s yeah. and 80s horror movies are the best. 
The Exorcist follows the story of Regan McNeil, played by Linda Blair, and her mother, Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burstyn. When Regan begins to act strange, her mother tries to get her medical attention. When medicine turns into a dead end, Chris is faced with the reality that Regan is battling demonic possession. A lot of things happen on and offset for this film, which contributes to the conspiracy that it is cursed. One of the first things that happened while on set was Linda Blair began having nervous breakdowns, allegedly, which makes sense because her character and what she was portraying as a child was really intense. She wasn't just playing a kid. She was having to play a demon possessing a child. And if you've ever seen this film, like it gets pretty intense. So I'm not surprised that this young kid was having a hard time coping with playing that kind of character. Linda Blair was 14 when filming The Exorcist. So that's pretty young to have Mm -hmm. to do something so intense. It almost didn't even pass getting a rated R rating. At one point, the idea of having it as rated X or NC-17 was thrown out there because it was so intense and the subject matter was so dark. But they were able to trim it back and get it to the rated R rating. Wow. Do you think that was just because of the time, like the... Like when this came out, because since then we've had a lot of movies that are like about exorcisms and they're always like a lot of them are like PG-13. Oh, absolutely. That's why I like 70s and 80s horror movies, because you go back and it's not as intense. They're not as scary. A lot of times not the exorcist isn't one of these, but a lot of times they're kind of campy. That's one of many things that happened on on set or around the production of The Exorcist. One of the biggest things is there are nine deaths connected to filming. Either people who died on set, people who were acting in the film and died later, people around them who died. We're going to run through some of them. On the first day of filming, Max von Sydow, who plays Father Lancaster Marin, who is the exorcist who dies during the rite, he found out that his brother had died on the first day of filming. Sydow is best known for us as playing Esburn from Skyrim. Oh, Well, then I know who that is. Yeah, he is the blade who takes you through the main quest that nobody ever does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know who it is, though, and I've done part of the main quest all the way until I get to like a point where I kept getting killed and then I just stopped and just did side quest. So, you know, I know who he is. Yeah, he's got some credit. So on the first day of filming, his brother dies. So he ended up living to the age of 90. He actually didn't pass away until this March. Oh, wow. So. He lived a long, full life. During filming, Linda Blair's grandfather passed away. And then a night watchman on set ended up passing away. I don't really have details for either of them. So I assume it wasn't crazy, tragic, over the top. But they passed away during production. Then uh, Vasiliki Malyros. I butchered that. I am so sorry. But she plays Damien Karras' mother. Had never been in a film before that. She was discovered by the director and was brought into the film. It's the only film she ever did because she ended up passing away. Jack McGowan, who played Burke Dennings, he ended up dying of a flu right before the film's release. And what really freaked people out was both Malyros and McGowan's characters died in the film. Ellen Burstyn, who plays Chris McNeil, suffered a permanent spinal injury while on set filming the scene where Reagan throws her from her bed. The scene, Katie, where the mom gets thrown all the way across the room. Yeah. They did tons and tons of takes. And allegedly, the take that's used in the final cut is the one where she suffered 
the oh, spinal injury. Oh my god. Ooh, that's rough. Mm-hmm. Yikes. I, f- I would be so mad. I'd be like, why did you put that in there? Yeah, I would be too. It was a complete accident. The harness they were using on her malfunctioned in that final take. The set that housed the entire McNeil family home burned down during production. Except for Reagan's demonic bedroom, which is the main setting for most of the film. It's because it was protected by the devil. I don't know. Or, or <laughs> because the devil likes fire. And so if the devil was in that fake room, then obviously fire wouldn't impact it, right? Because it's already hell. Or maybe it was blessed from the, the exorcism sacraments. Who knows? During the film's Rome premiere, lightning struck a 400-year-old cross atop a nearby 16th century church. But out of all these things, the thing that I think is most foreboding and creepy is Jason Miller, who played Father Karras in the film, was approached by a priest on the street. And the priest gave him a medallion and said to him, Reveal the devil for the trickster that he is. He will seek retribution against you, or he will even try to stop what you are trying to do to unmask him. That that's is weird. so... Well, that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah that's God. creepy. I would be terrified out of my mind. Like, I, if it was me during the production of this show, I think I would have quit by the third thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, when your entire set burns down, except the yeah. creepy bedroom, I would be like, I'm not like, coming I'm, back. I'm out. I'll see I can't later. continue with this production. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, that's everything I have on The Exorcist. And I would argue that's a lot more cursed sounding than I the crow. completely agree with that. Yeah, I do, too. It sounds like in The Crow, there was just really angry workers on the set. And like a lot of like poor choices and OSHA yeah, violations. Yeah, and, right. And things then, that probably got fixed now. And then now mm-hmm. in The Exorcist, it sounds more like the devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next movie is really a trilogy of movies, but most of us know the first one. We're going to talk about Poltergeist from 1982. I've seen and then all some of them. Things. You've seen all of it. <laughs> have you seen the new 2015 one? Okay, no, I haven't. Se- uh, I've not seen any No, I haven't one. seen that one, but I've seen oh. the other ones, and I'm sorry. I'm I a didn't, liar. Yeah. No, I didn't see the 2015 or the. There was like a TV show adaptation. When the Freelings, an average California family, begin communing with ghosts through their television set, strange and creepy happenings begin to surround them. Initially friendly and playful, the spirits turn unexpectedly menacing. When five-year-old Carol Ann goes missing, parents Steve and Diane turn to parapsychologists and eventually an exorcist for help. So Poltergeist isn't just the most infamously haunted movie set but started a trilogy of cursed movies that was released between 1982 and 1986. The rumors about the curse of the Poltergeist film began after the crew used real skeletons to film one of the movie's more disturbing sequences. Let's run through a list of seven things that happened on set that were I seven things that happened around this trilogy that are cursed or may have caused the curse. So Dominique Dunn, who played Dana, died in 1982 after being strangled by her abusive boyfriend. Wow. Just before the release of the first film. And her abusive piece of boyfriend who did it ended up only serving three and a half years for voluntary manslaughter. Wow. Oh my God. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Will Sampson, who played Taylor, the medicine man in Poltergeist, died a year after the film's release of Kidney Failure, and he was only 53. In 1985, during post-production of Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, Julian Beck, who played Kane in the sequel, died of stomach cancer at the age of 60. The trilogy's iconic lead, Heather O'Rourke, who plays Carol Ann, died at the age of 12, less than a year after the release of Poltergeist 3 in January of 1988. This most famous death came about from a misdiagnosed intestinal issue. So Carol Ann actually suffered a heart attack and she was stabilized and taken to the hospital where they found that she had a congenital disorder that basically caused her to go into toxic shock. They did emergency surgery on her and she made it through the surgery okay. But as they were moving her out of surgery and into a recovery room, she had another heart attack and she died. In 1992, actor Richard Lawson, who played Dr. Ryan Mitchell, one of the parapsychologists in Poltergeist, survived a plane crash that happened at LaGuardia that killed 27 people of the 51 that were on board. So his was a close call, but he cheated death. And then in 2009, actor Lou Perryman, who played a construction worker in Poltergeist, was axed to death in his home by an ex-convict. Oh, sorry. Dolphins, but (laughs) probably more dolphins. Did they say, like, why that happened? Or, like, it was just that guy was home and... Yep. Oh, my God. Jesus. Yeah, and many believe these deaths were a form of spiritual payback from the real corpses that were used as props in the infamous flooded pool scene of the first film. So at the beginning of the recording, I sent two photos in the chat and you'll see those are real bodies. That's gross. Well, maybe they shouldn't have done that. Like, come on. The premise of the first Poltergeist movie is part of why there's all this activity was the house was built on an ancient Indian burial ground. I just don't know why if that's the premise uh, of your film, you're going to say, you know what? Let's invoke actual spirits. Let's real things. Yeah, like we already, I don't know. Stupid. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't feel bad for all of this t- t- stuff happening to them because they were using real, real dead people. Like choices. Can you imagine sitting around that table like, you know what? Let's go get some real dead bodies to put in this pool of mud for our actress to swim around. Right? In. I like, think that's a good idea. They didn't tell them that they were real bodies. So that look of terror on her face is real. Ew. Oh, my God. I just don't understand. Like, I, who thought that was a good idea ever? I hope they got fired. Dumb people. They like dig these people up or like. That's a good question. I didn't dig into it too um, much. I don't even blame you. I'm just like, what? Like, it just I mean, was not a good idea around the board. No, it's a bad no. idea. <laughs> All I know is that if they use my corpse as a prop in a movie, I'm going to come back and haunt people. Well, that and I'd be super pissed if I was a family member knowing that was happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know like how if the family members could know that that was happening but still like that's just really disrespectful to those dead bodies mm-hmm. i mean i i would imagine that they were probably unidentified or un like i mean pro- that's why yeah Hopefully, i mean you're probably like, right that that's that makes it the least offensive but i mean they can't just go dig up someone's body and say let's just use them like you can't just do that so 
I but what if they did? Well, then like, they should be fired. I mean, I don't know what else to say. But they instead, been they were fired. all cursed and then died. All right. So, so far, we've talked about The Exorcist from 1973, Poltergeist from 1982, really the trilogy up until 1986, and then The Crow from 1994. So lastly, let's talk about A Confederacy of Dunces. A Confederacy of Dunces is based on John Kennedy Toole's novel of the same title, and A Confederacy of Dunces is probably the most cursed film of all time, which is saying a lot from all of those things we just heard about. The novel was written in 1963, but was not published until 1980. It follows central character Ignatius J. Riley, an educated but slothful 30-year-old man living with his mother in the uptown neighborhood of early 1960s New Orleans, who, in his quest for employment, has various adventures with colorful French Quarter characters. That's the best synopsis I could find. The plot of the book is complicated. So I suggest you go and you read about it. It's in the show notes. I've included a Schmoop article which gives you like a study guide for the book, and it gives you a good breakdown of all the things that happen. The book's title refers to an epigram from Jonathan Swift's essay, Thoughts of Various Subjects, Moral and Diverting. When a true genius appears in the world, you may know him by this sign that the dunces are all in confederacy against him. The movie has been cursed since the inception of the novel. John Kennedy Toole wrote this satirical novel in 1963, but ended up committing suicide in 1969. It's only through the work of his mother that it was published at all. And so it ended up not getting published until 1980. So 17 years after he wrote it and 11 years after he died. It's a good thing that she got it published because it won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1981. Oh, wow. Only two years after its publication in 1982 did talks begin about a film adaptation. It was written in 1963. He died in 1969. It was published in 1980. It won the Pulitzer in 1981. Production on the film began in 1982. So when was it released? 2000. And the answer, never. It's never been released. You'll see there's a really long timeline of how cursed this production is. Harold Ramis was brought on originally as the director, with star John Belushi originally slated to play Ignatius. However, just two days before he was set to sign his contract, Belushi passed away from a drug overdose. And so Ramis had pictured John Belushi as this character. Ignatius J. Riley is this really big, like 375 pound, larger than life man. And I think because of the characterizations of Ignatius, that contributes to a lot of the problems that happen in production. But John Belushi was a really big star at the time and he was a bigger guy. And so Harold Ramis was thinking this is a perfect role for him. So following his death, the role was shifted to John Candy, who was another big larger than life kind of comedian. Paramount Pictures felt that John Candy wasn't over the top enough, even though he was kind of over the top. And so that was in 1983. He ended up getting passed over for the part after being attached to the production for a while. And he ended up passing away in 1994 at the age of 43 of a presumed heart attack. Following Candy, Chris Farley was up for the role, but this didn't come to fruition after Ramis ended up leaving production. Um, So Ramis said, you know what, I'm not going to be the director for this. You need to find somebody else. 
So they go on this adventure to find another director. But as they're going through different directors, Chris Farley's name keeps coming up. And his name continued to be bounced around for this role until 1997, when he passed away of a drug overdose at the age of 33 during production of Shrek. Because Chris Farley was originally supposed to play Shrek. And he was 85% of the way through the film when he died of an overdose. Wow. So if we're following this timeline, it was written in 63. The author died in 69, published in 1980, Pulitzer 81. Film adaptation started in 82. And now we're all the way up to 1997. And we can't pick somebody to star in it because they keep dying or keep getting so far into production and getting fired, essentially. Well, after Ramis left and before Farley dies, one of the people who was attached to the film to direct was John Waters. Do you all know who John Waters is? No. He is a pretty famous director of weird stuff. You all probably know of him. He is the director of Hairspray. He worked a lot with drag superstar Divine. Have you ever heard of Divine? No. I believe so, yes. Um, it kind of sounds familiar. Maybe. I don't know. Divine was a like a, a big drag queen when drag queens weren't a big thing. They were John Waters muse and starred in a lot of the films that he's well known for. One of his biggest works is Pink Flamingos and that stars Divine. Divine actually ended up being the original Edna Turnblatt in Hairspray. And since then, that's why Edna Turnblatt historically has been played by a man in drag. Divine's also the inspiration behind Ursula. So a lot of the reasons of why Ursula looks the way that she does is she's modeled after Divine. Maybe that's why I recognize the name. Divine ended up passing away in their sleep just three weeks after Hairspray was released. It was March 7th, 1988, and they were actually getting ready to film an episode of Married with Children and just died in the middle of the night at the age of 42, I think. Once Divine was no longer attached to the project and had fallen victim to this curse of the dunces, John Waters pulled from being involved in the film. Many, many years later, production actually had started moving forward with Will Ferrell attached to the film as the lead. Whatever strange forces were against them decided that taking Will Ferrell was going to be too much and the world couldn't handle that. So it takes place in New Orleans, was being filmed in New Orleans, but production was stalled when the head of the Louisiana State Film Commission, Joe Beth Bolton, was brutally murdered. Oh, crap. So Joe Beth gets murdered. And then right after Joe Beth gets murdered, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. All these are not coincidences. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Some other names that were attached to the film but didn't fall victim to it were Jonathan Winters. He was initially removed from the project just because he was too old. The character he was playing was in his mid-30s, and at the time he was almost 60. Josh Motel, which he had reprised John Belushi's iconic Animal House role in the TV spinoff. So they were similar. He ended up not being attached to it any longer. John Goodman's name was thrown around for a while. Jack Black's name was thrown around for a while. But finally, in 2012, they found a new leading man and attached him to the film. And the new Ignatius was going to be played by Zach Galifianakis. The last that production was worked on was 2013, when it was ultimately abandoned. I can't believe they're still, mm-hmm. they were still wow. trying this long to like... Let it go. 
Like, it's not going to happen. Like, fetch. It's not going to happen. So (laughs) not only were there issues with their leading men and the casting and horrible things going on there, but there were problems with production ownership was being produced by a production company that was owned by Johnny Carson. And the rights were then bought up by oil tycoon John Langdon. From there, they were passed to Orion Pictures, then 20th Century Fox, then back to Langdon, and then to Paramount. And then when they were given to Paramount, Stephen Fry, does that name sound familiar to y'all? Yes, but I don't know why. Yes, but I don't know why. You would recognize him. You should do a cursory Google search of Stephen Fry. He was dispatched by Paramount to work on the film. And he found that from Dunces, he would be able to create a story within a story, inventing scenes and combining Ignatius with the creator, John Kennedy Tool, to produce an entirely new kind of story. So it was going to be, it went from being about just the story to being about John Kennedy Tool's life, but also having the story within that. And that became kind of complicated. And the person who was attached as director at the point, Steven Sodenberg, said, I don't want to do that. This is too much. This isn't this was not what I had signed on to do. And he was trying to go back to his own version of the screenplay alongside Scott Kramer, who was the one who had originally purchased the option for the film for ten thousand dollars. So it's been passed back and forth between all these production companies. All these different people have been directors. They finally settle on Sodenberg and Kramer decides he's going to go against Paramount and make the movie how he wants. Kramer hadn't just bought the rights to this film. He had been there and worked on getting John Belushi attached to the film. He had been there working with Joe Beth Bolton and getting the production of the Will Ferrell movie pushed forward. He's been there through all these tragedies. He's talked with all these people who have died. And he's like, no, we're just going to make this freaking movie and we're going to make it how I want it because we've been doing this since 1982. We're going to get this done. So Sodenberg and Kramer sued Paramount Pictures in 1996. Matters ended up being settled two years later, but by then it was too late. Sodenberg walked away from the project and he's quoted saying, my enthusiasm has been beaten out of me. I think it's cursed. I'm not prone to superstition, but that project has got bad mojo. All of this to say, there was a very successful stage production of A Confederacy of Dunces. In 2015, Jeffrey Hatcher's stage adaptation did very, very well. It was star-studded and it starred Nick Offerman as Ignatius J. Riley. So Ron Swanson finally got to play this character that was supposed to be all these other people. (laughs) Um, And it did extremely well and ended up making the leap to Broadway in 2017. So that's like the little silver lining out of all of this was they were able to put together a nice stage production and a stage version of a Confederacy of Dunces exists. But the film to this day is still a work in progress. 40 years since the book came out. Hear me out. You said there was a Broadway production. Uh Uh-huh. Broadway's been shut down. Because of COVID, this novel started COVID. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. Yep. There you go. So I know how I know Stephen Fry. How do you know Stephen Fry? I know him from Bones. That's a great place to know him. I from. recognize him from the TV show Bones. That's one of the first places I saw Stephen Fry. I always associate Stephen Fry with V for Vendetta. I've only seen it like once, so I'm not surprised I recognize him more from Bones. He was also the narrator in like all the video games for Harry Potter. He's one of only like five British actors, so come on. 
He was in Doctor in a mini series for Doctor Who. I was about to be like, he hasn't really been in Doctor Who though. So now that we've talked about those four cursed movies, what do y'all think? I think that these people are all stupid and they should have stopped way before, like, and just been like, we'll just not do these movies. Yeah, I feel like it's uh, after, like, you know, t- two mishaps, I feel like you should just call it quits and, you know. Well, I think this last one, they need to just, just like, stop. It just, it just stop. needs to be forever done. Well, like, yeah, there no, is no more in that one. one no. that, like, Although, I don't know. I guess I'm glad they kept shooting um, The Exorcist and um, Poltergeist because I really like those movies. So, To be fair, most of the things that happened with Poltergeist didn't happen until after, like after yeah. the movies were produced. and It makes me want to go watch those now. Megan, I might force you to watch Poltergeist. It's not that bad. Poltergeist, I would say, well, is the least okay. scary of all the, yeah. the scary cursed ones. They're here. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like the the movies that you know these movies that were made you know in the seventies, eighties, like to me, they might have been scary for their time. Mm-hmm. But after everything, every scary movie that I've seen up to today, and and I'm I'm never scared. And so for me, it's just like I'm just watching it, and I'm like, oh, okay, I could see how this was oh. scary, you know. And I feel like in general, like scary movies are only scary because they're jumpy and because of the music. And if they weren't jumpy and because of the music. Oh, no, absolutely. Studies have shown that if you just watch a scary movie on yeah. mute, you don't get scared right. because yeah, you don't have the suspense of the, the audio. And people say music isn't important. <sighs> OK. Yeah. No, the music tells you how you're supposed to be feeling at that moment. <laughs> you know, watching the original Exorcist movie, I was I was literally there dead, you know, deadpan. Just looking at it, watching it, and I'm like, okay, like, this is a movie. No big deal. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciate it for everything that it was, but for me, it just, I didn't, I didn't find it scary. So, so my issue isn't the fact of, like, the jump scare, like, I get scared of the jump scares, like, that's cool and all, and, like, the music and stuff, but I also get scared because, like, I slightly believe in, like, ghosts and stuff. The potential. So, it's not, like, the... Yes, the jump scares also scare me, but it's also like the possibility of like part of it being real. So like for me, it's not just like the jump scares. And if you take that away and you take the movie music away, it's still not going to be scary for me. It's still going to be slightly scary. Yeah, I could. I understand that. Not that I know if these are cursed movie sets, which who knows they might be. But when I was younger, I used to watch um, J and K horror films. Um, Japanese and Korean horror films and you can't not watch them because you have to watch the subtitles and those were some of the scariest movies I have ever seen and some of those like if you want to approach cursed films from a different angle where you're you get cursed watching them it, a lot of J and K horror movies it's like if you watch this movie um, horrible things are going to happen mm-hmm. to you or if you start this movie and you don't finish it and a lot of that I think comes from like J and K folklore as well yeah. they have like different games you can play where it's like if you don't finish this right then this monster is going to come eat you. Yeah, and I used to think like those were super scary because of stuff like that, because I would read like that kind of stuff because I was like, oh, my gosh, because you know what else was I doing when I was 15? Um, but I also used to have there used to be like a what I don't know if it still exists, but there used to be like a whole Web page where they just had all these movies. I'm sure it's been taken down now because of like copyright. Um, and I had it bookmarked on my computer and it was just J and K horror films and you could just go 
watch all the movies and get scared because you had to watch them on your computer and like sit in bed by yourself at night and watch these subtitled movies and then, you know, cry. But anyway, I don't know. I think that all these people are stupid for doing a lot of the things they did. Do you ever think they'll make a movie about all the whole like 40 years that it's taken to attempt to make this? What was the last one called? That's really the movie that needs a to be made. A Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah. Like, forget the actual movie, but let's just do like the production of yeah. the documentary uh, this movie yeah. that never was to released. Get it to where it, you know, ultimately stopped in 2013. I don't think that there is an episode about this. There might be, but there's actually a series on Shudder, which is kind of like a horror version of Netflix called Cursed Films. The show does nothing but focus on conspiracies and ideas of different movies and the production behind them, or if the film itself has become cursed. So that might be a good place to look and see if that's a thing already. Let me see. While Ben's looking at that, let's get through some stats. Oh, you finished? Yeah, literally like right as you finished. Like perfect timing. I won. So the most rolled number was eight this time with 15 um, and then six with 13 and seven with 11. Of course, seven is always up there with the, the most the rolled top three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's easy to roll seven. Yeah. It's got like a good, a good number of combinations. The scores were CJ got fourth with 11 points. We were all like really close, actually. Jasmine had 12 victory points in third. I had 13 victory points with second. And Katie got first with 14 victory points. And then I had longest road. You cut off my longest road. You're you know what? You're a dolphin. So. I did. I did cut off the longest road because <laughs> I wanted to win. And I was one point away from winning for the last 10 minutes of that game. So I pulled up that cursed film sh- show. It came out this year. They've talked about The Exorcist. They've talked about The Omen, which I had written a whole section of notes for The Omen and decided to cut it. Um, they talked about Poltergeist. They've talked about The Crow. And they talked about Twilight Zone, the movie. But if you read all the links that I've included in the show notes, a lot of these are like top 10, top 7, top 12, most cursed movies. And there's a lot of overlap, but there's stuff that I didn't talk about at all, like The Omen and Rosemary's Baby and The Wizard of Oz. And there's a lot of stuff that surrounds not just the horror movies. I like Rosemary's Baby. I was, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's cursed AF. Yeah, I can imagine. So yeah. I liked that. That was interesting. I'm excited to do the Wizard of Oz episode. Yeah. Wizard of Oz is also like, if you don't include Lord of the Rings, my favorite movie of all time. Anyway, okay, we should wrap it up. Um, Ben, is there anything else to add? I listed them as I felt were least to most cursed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you all would agree. Yeah. Oh, I would agree no, with that. I, I agree with yeah, um I agree. with your like order of, you know, listing them. I guess that's it. So nothing else. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening so far. We do have a Patreon. So if you want to show your support and help keep us doing this podcast thing. There are four tiers that all include access to our Discord and a shout out on the podcast. And of course, credits in the YouTube video. After the podcast, we chit chat about the next episode and more, which we release to the supporters that choose Captain Knight or Settlers tiers. The Captain and Knights can also listen to our show live, usually on Sundays. Again, thanks to our patrons. To hear the after show and previous after shows, go to patreon.com slash 
and become at least a settler. You can also buy us a cup of coffee if you don't want a monthly subscription at ko-fi.com slash Katampod. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like, heart, star, favorite, and leave us a review wherever you can. Don't forget, you can also watch the game we just played on our YouTube channel, Settlers of Catan Even. While you're there, make sure to subscribe, which is another great and free way to show your support. Also, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CatantPod. Now, let's go around this virtual table and talk about where you can find us. Katie, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Katie11318. And Ben? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at bfelts91, on my website at benjaminfelts.com, or traveling around the country in a Winnebago with Linda Blair performing exorcisms. Jasmine, where can we find you? Um, y'all can find me on Twitter at underscore Snoop Jazzy Jazz, and on Instagram at Princess Jasmine14. And CJ, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at CJ. And finally, you can find me at Megan Wilson underscore on the Twitter and the Instagrams. It's all linked in the show notes as with everyone else's. Thanks again. And we'll be back soon with more Catan and conversation. Bye. 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 <laughs>